0: Yeah, I'm kind of with you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I've been I've been hoping about this show. I've been trying to be the catatilly of this podcast. And I've been the one saying, oh, this show is really fucking awesome. And it's got to be fine. And just, I'm not with it anymore. I've heard a lot of really great things about this show, The Orville. And I think I'm going to start watching that.
0: Uh well if you are against uh SJWs then The Orville is the show for you. <laughs> I um I okay. don't th- we we are reaching the limits I think of doing this do, doing the Star Trek Discovery in this fashion because we don't know. Like I I know we keep saying this every single episode that we've done on Star Trek Discovery so far. But we don't know where this is going. I think that we have to engage with the episodes that we get, obviously, because I don't think it's a good critical approach to try and figure out where the meta plot is going, where these strands are going to end up at the end of the season. So I'm not really interested in any of that. I don't want to do any of that. I'm not necessarily concerned about where the spore drive is going. I'm not necessarily concerned about where the Klingon story is going. I'm not super concerned about any of that. What I am concerned about is the 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 lack of I I, I want to say lack of care that the show seems to be engaging with some of its core storytelling ideas.
1: Well, I, I I think I have some ideas on, and this is kind of in a way I'm very happy we are doing the show because we don't really do a lot of prestige television. We haven't done any what you would call prestige television, and I don't think we really will. We've floated the idea of Breaking Bad, but I don't know if I want to cover that show. We probably will never do Game of Thrones. Um, something like Six Feet Under is something that I would like to do, but again, I'm not sure if we will. But this we talked a- around a lot about the differences between prestige television, sto- uh, serialized storytelling, arc based storytelling, and one of the things that uh you know you always say is. How there's these episodes where nothing happens, and you just kind of have to have an episode, and you're just, you know, placing things, but it's not actually a story. And I think here, we are seeing the clearest indication of an episode in which nothing fucking happens. And, you know, there's, you know, maybe a little moment here or two, but this is mostly just, you know, pushing this here, and we need to reveal this about Captain Lorca, and we need to have you know, Saru and Burnham have this one moment and all, but, you know, and we need to introduce evil mirror, you know, Mark from Rent and, uh, but
0: right. Cause like, here's the thing. I, I don't, I don't really pay attention to a lot of the speculation surrounding star Trek discovery. There has been some very mild speculation that, uh, the mirror universe is going to be happening at some point. Is this the fir- the the end of this episode? Is that the first uh-huh. indication that that is going to happen? Is is if that it, mirror if, universe if,
1: statements? But but here's the thing: like mirror universe in both original series and DS nine was always a metaphor, right? It was never literally an actual physical mirror where you could see reflection. It was just a. You know, oh, it's the same, but the opposite of it. It's just like a mirror. Like, if that's the mirror universe, then this is the dumbest show. Here, Here's where
0: I'm really... I, I'm with you with that. But, but here's where I'm really starting to, to worry about Star Trek Discovery is that, you know, we have had a lot of really strong Star Trek veterans that were sort of like floated out there as people that were going to be working on Star Trek discovery. You know, we had Nick Meyer, we had Kristen Bayer, who's written a lot of the Star Trek novels, Uh, Joe Minoski, who of course wrote for TNG and wrote such episodes as Darmok. Uh, Mm. Where are they? Their names are in the (laughs) credits. I have seen no evidence that they have had one iota of input on any of these scripts. They haven't written any of these episodes. Um, the, the person who wrote this episode, Kemp something, uh, is apparently a well-renowned playwright, which, fine. I'm Why? all for new blood but... into the Star Trek universe. But to me, I look at an episode like this and I say, I'm very concerned about where the story is going. This episode really had nothing to say. Uh, the characterizations seem off. I, I, I don't know who Saru is. And what's worse, I don't know that the show has a good idea of who Saru is. And for someone who I think was, I'm still trying to engage with Star Trek Discovery in an atmosphere of good faith and in an atmosphere of approaching the show on its own terms. But what I'm really concerned about is that I don't know that this show has a clear storytelling identity. And Mm. I think it's borrowing a lot of the feel and look and tropes of serialized prestige television in an attempt to make Star Trek hip or something. And you can say a lot of things about Star Trek. Star Trek has never been hip. (laughs) And I just worry that this show does not have a clear sense of itself and that it is It is chasing an idea of what television should be in a very similar fashion to how the first season of The Next Generation was made by people who worked on Star Trek, the original series, had not worked on Star Trek very much, or had not worked on television very much after the original series was canceled, Mm. except for people like uh, Gene Roddenberry, of course, who uh, had a few failed pilots and... um uh Robert Justman who who was a producer but you know Dorothy Fontana didn't really write for television she wrote here and there um Gerald uh David Gerald wrote for television here and there but for the most part they were remaking the original series in 1987 and that didn't work because it was 20 years later and and what i find in a weird way is that Star Trek Discovery feels very sort of all current but It's in service of being current without having an identity of its own. And I was with the show. I still think the first three episodes were really good. I think the fourth episode was okay. The show is on a decline and I don't know where it's going. And I'm very concerned about what I'm seeing in this episode specifically. And I have to be honest with that.
1: No, I, I, I feel, the moment it lost me, and, you know, long-time listeners of this podcast will know, you know, how profane I am, you know, how much I swear and all of that, like, I'm not a fucking prude or anything like that, but, you know, yes, this is really fucking awesome. That moment I was just like, okay. Like, you remember in which was the Star Trek movie where uh, Data says shit at one point and it's like, ha ha ha, Data said shit. Like, that was exactly what that moment was for me. And I, I mean, I was like, wait, they can do that? Like, it just seemed for the own sake of we're an online service. We can swear we're not really going to do it. It's not going to be the identity. Like, again, so I guess my question is, who was this show for?
0: I don't know. I don't <laughs> I know mean, who it's for. And I think that that's really what it comes down to to me is like p- part of why this isn't working for me and part of why this episode, I think, didn't work for me. And I'm still not saying the show on its own is not working for me. Yeah. And I think this, is, again, is the pitfall of serialized television. If If this had been a random episode of the first season of The Next Generation that was terrible, you go, all right, well... That story didn't work, it had problematic elements, the characterization was off, whatever. But we're going to have a brand new adventure next week, and so maybe it'll be really great. The problem with Star Trek Discovery is that there is no new adventure next week. This is the adventure. And if the adventure is proceeding in a way that is not working for you, the entire season of the show is not going to work for you.
1: Yeah. Why was uh, Harry Mudd in this? I, I was Harry Mudd in this? No, Rain Wilson with a beard was in this. Now, uh, I, I I I was I, offended. I I think that Rain
0: Wilson did an adequate job of portraying Harry Mudd. But why was it Harry Mudd? For for what reason is he going to be back? I, I mean, I, I don't get it. And uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. You know. Oh, Robert April got name checked, and and uh, Decker got name checked, and and you know, uh, Captain George-O got name checked again, and Archer got name checked, and, and we saw Captain Pike. Pike got name checked. You know, it's like great, fine, whatever. This is Star Trek. I'm on board with it, but it just feels very, very disjointed to me.
1: It seems like the kind of. It's a little. It, Internet-y in the, same, in the sense that you want, you know, they want people to be freeze-favorable. Oh, did you see who the captains that they listed were kind of a thing? And, you know, maybe it is just the function of how TV is made now. Maybe I don't really like how TV is made now. Maybe we're just curmudgeons that way, but... um
0: I don't know. I I watch a lot more current television than you, though. I I don't necessarily mind this style of storytelling when it has a point. And and to me, this is the most dissatisfying version of serialized television, which is that it is a story being told over 15 episodes instead of one episode that doesn't have much of an episodic structure. Certainly there are elements to this which are episodic. And certainly things did happen, I guess. But at the same time, you know, this this is the Star Trek show that was lauded as, you know, we're not going to have a reset button and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what happens at the end of this episode? A fucking reset button. Like, you know, Captain Lorca was abducted by the Klingons and then he's back. Now of course he's got Ash Tyler who come on. Is obviously a Klingon spy, Hmm. and the tardigrade is gone, and you're just kind of like, I don't know why I'm watching this. I guess to me it's like if I I'm not I'm not excited to watch this show. It feels like a job.
1: Yeah, I mean for the for I guess that is a very you know that's a specific thing. I mean this has been. Certainly there were points for me that watching Star Trek has been, you know, I'm doing this because we have to do this. You know, all stretches of the original series where, for me. Um, Voyager at times has felt like that. But again, I think about, I was hoping for, I guess we were both maybe, I, I certainly was hoping for another DS9 with the lessons of the past, you know, 20 years uh, in mind. In other words, something, you know, DS9 is... F- extremely episodic and yet it is telling a story over time it does have character changes again i think that there would have been a way to meld those two um a way that you... I, I
0: i can think of two shows in particular that do that style of storytelling very well mad men and the americans
1: yeah now i still haven't watched the americans and i'm sorry but um yeah, mad men is a perfect example and, and we've talked about that a lot um Mad Men maybe wasn't as influential a show as we would have hoped.
0: I, I maybe it's too soon to tell. I don't know. I mean, Mad Men did only end two years ago, so that that does take time to to percolate through the culture, and and people might just be afraid of aping Mad Men. Honestly, uh, you know, but Mad Men also honestly wasn't that popular. You know, I I, I think yeah, people okay. like us do overestimate exactly how many people watched Mad Men it yeah, wasn't a lot of people.
1: It was the kind of show where every every critic who watched it you know thought it was an impeccable show and I think it was um but you're right you know the average you know Don Draper became a cultural icon you know because John Hamm got very was you know so handsome and all of that and you know maybe some of the style percolated but that's about it.
0: I think what I'm really seeing here is that, that to me, when, when all is said and done, when we get to the end of the first season of Star Trek Discovery, I think what we're essentially going to have is a show and a story that were taken over by a creative team that, charitably speaking, did not come up with this idea, did not come up with this concept. Um I don't know what their Star Trek bona fides are. Obviously mm. they hired people that had Star Trek bona fides and that's fine. They're they're obviously doing a lot of the work to imbue Star Trek Discovery with the history and the feel and the sound effects of Star Trek and they're they're doing a careful good job of it. I I can't fault the I can't fault any of the the visual production style yeah. of this show. I, I think it still looks really good and sounds really good. I would say
1: the audio production. Yeah, whenever they go, you hear that little noise going on. That was from the original series that I love. Um, there is a lot of the. this it just it's a good sounding show. Yeah,
0: but I just I just wonder what this show would be like if Brian Fuller was still running it.
1: That's I mean, an unknowable
0: question, and maybe that's a, a churlish way to look at it, but I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, there is always a—so the Brian Fuller shows that I've seen, so um, Wonderfalls and uh, uh, um, a couple episodes of the Singing Pie Shop show. Uh, Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies. Um, did he create uh, Dead Like Me, or was he—, he created
0: changed? Dead Like Me, and he was okay. unceremoniously canned from that show after the pilot, as I understand okay. it. Okay. Um,
1: Look, I'm not saying that no, no, Brian no.
0: Fuller would have done a great job. I mean, he's certainly the type of person that is not very successful in his own right and yet keeps getting television shows given to him for some unexplainable
1: reason. Um, I haven't seen Hannibal, but I guess what I do notice in the Brian Fuller shows I've seen is he's not going for realism, right? Like, he is going for a something a little over the top and a little... Uh, Surreal isn't quite the word, but there is a weird quirkiness, a very specific tone to a lot of his stuff um, that I'm not finding here. And I wonder if this show would have a little bit of camp, I guess, to it, Um, you know, more subdued than you normally use for that. But I feel like this series may have benefited from a little camp.
0: I mean I can certainly see that that Harry Mudd was probably left over from a draft of the story that Brian yeah. Fuller had created. Harry Mudd seems like exactly the kind of character that Brian Fuller would love yeah. to write for. You know, but but that that's fine and maybe maybe Brian Fuller's version of Harry Mudd would have really been interesting, but if if you did not know who Harry Harry yeah. Mudd was from watching the original series, w- what does that character really Add why? Why bring this character back? Why make this character Harry Mudd? Except for Star Trek fans to go, oh, it's Harry Mudd. You know, I'm just I'm I'm left with questions, and I think what it primarily comes down to for me is that after watching Choose Your Pain, I'm left with a feeling of this show is trying to do way too much. Mm. I I don't know what the scope of any of this is. It is not doing a good job of selling this world to me. I was, ext- yeah. the, the, the oh. moment that, the moment that worried you and when, when Tilly said fuck and all this kind of stuff, um, the moment that really made me worry is when they had the round table of Starfleet admirals and Captain Lorca all talking about the fact that they needed to mass produce the store, spore drive and find a bunch of tardigrades to enslave. Um, what? Like that's, I don't, I don't want that. I I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't want to watch that. I don't want that to be Star Trek. That is not Mm. Star Trek to me. And I find it fundamentally upsetting that the show would even have that scene in it. And to me, yes, of course, Burnham doesn't think that the tardigrade should suffer. Stamets doesn't think the tardigrade should suffer. Saru doesn't think the tardigrade should suffer. No one thinks the tardigrade should suffer. But at the end of the day, the tardigrade is suffering and yes they shoot it in the space and everything's happy at the end of this episode or is it
1: i don't know only for the admiral to find hey we found a rogue tardigrade and it's the same exact one
0: and but this is my problem with it is like i don't want to see that in this show because the show has not done the groundwork to convince me that this is necessary i don't know anything about this war that's happening except that it's bad i a priori bad because people are dying and it's been seven months okay but you're not telling me of the scale of it you're not telling me of the destruction you're not telling me that this what what is the status of the starfleet in this war what is the status of the federation in this war who is currently winning the war what is happening what this show keeps telling us is this is very important this is very important this is very important but that's not a reason. It's not actually important. None of this is actually important because we know it's not important because this is a fucking prequel to the original series.
1: Yeah, it, it's not like these characters are going to be, you know, seen again after this. As far as we know, they're all going to die at the end of the season. That's possible. And who cares? Right. We know, we know that the big MacGuffin of the series, which is apparently the Spore Drive, is Something's going to happen to it, and, you know, we know it's not going to be mass-produced, or if it is, it's not going to be used for very long, and the question of why it ends up not being used is becoming more and more academic and less interesting by the episode, um...
0: Right. Because are we supposed to conclude that Starfleet doesn't use the spore drive because you either have to enslave a sentient life form to use it or it causes the mirror universe to bleed through or something like obviously there are going to be extremely bad consequences to using the spore drive. There's a reason why it doesn't get used it. But but I need the answer to be satisfying and I need the answer to make sense and more than that, I need the story to be satisfying. I need a yeah. reason for this story to be told. I, I to to me right now, I just don't get it. It's like if you set a show in 1850 and make like teleportation available. Uh, all right, fine, but but why? What what's the reason why 150 years later we're not teleporting everywhere instead of driving in cars? I don't know is this show giving me a good explanation as to why it doesn't appear to be
1: what if it's been in the mirror universe the entire time and then it's gonna be into the real universe and yeah i I don't know it's it's a it, it, joke, it, but
0: that's a theory that's out there
1: oh fuck really yeah, um I hate the internet um and, and then all of the this is section thirty one things um but anyway yeah 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 the um if they were doing some kind of alternate history imaginary story and were kind of open about that, I would be a little more into it in a way, right? Like, you know, the thing with the whole, with the JJ track, I know it has its own, you know, thing, but the fact that they are, the fact that, okay, this is its own separate timeline and we don't really have to worry about what's going to happen in the other series. And, you know, in a way, you know, in a way, that's cheap, but in another way, it is freeing because, okay, we can really make big sweeping changes if we want, and we don't have to worry about squaring the circles. We can create a spore drive, and we're not going to have to worry about how this is going to affect the plot of Voyager because, you know, all right, it's its own thing. It's its own timeline. And in a way, if they were open about that and, you know, said, okay, here's a Star Trek show it takes place in a split timeline— Maybe we would like we. I would like the show a little better. I don't know, but
0: I don't know either. And I, I think that yeah. this is something that 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 I've been grappling with, and I think you've been grappling with. And I, I think that I just need to put this out there for the listeners: is that you know you were essentially listening to us react to Star Trek Discovery in real time, and so you know part of this, of course, is going to be imbued from our moods of the current moment of whatever time we're recording this. You know, I I am currently on vacation in a beach house in North Carolina. Uh, So you think that I would be very into (laughs) Star Trek Discovery, and I should be very uh, forgiving of it. And I'm not. I'm actually extremely angry at the show. And I was with it for a lot of it for the first four season or first four episodes. I, I don't know what exactly it is about this episode that turned me off so much, but. I guess I just keep waiting for, I I was able to give the benefit of the doubt to the show because it was early days and I didn't know where this was going. And I was maybe thinking that maybe I'm just getting antsy for the show to justify why it exists. Mm. And I know that that sounds churlish maybe, but I think it does because, you know, I don't want to get into a big discussion of the Orville. We're going to be doing the Orville on our, Uh, patron special for the month of November that'll be out in a couple weeks three weeks whenever it's going to be and we'll talk about the Orville in depth then but you know I kind of had that same reaction to to watching the sixth episode of the Orville that was on a couple days ago which was yeah this isn't that bad but I also don't know why this show exists because Uh, it's not doing anything mm -hmm. new and if I want to watch TNG I'll just watch TNG.
1: On the other hand, and I've only seen a couple of episodes of The Orville. I will catch up before it's time for the patron special. But I can tell you, you know, even if it's as simple as, you know, Seth MacFarlane likes, you know, Star Trek and has had a bunch of ideas. And this is his view of Star Trek from his own particular political and social perspective. That's a much more focused show than, you know, whether or not you want it, you care about Seth MacFarlane's uh, views on, you know, the future and all of that, whether or not you care, at least the show is a delivery system for that. I can't tell what this, sh- what, and what Discovery is a delivery system for.
0: I've got nothing for you. I, I, I don't know. And, and I think that's what's so frustrating.
1: I mean, the original series. Uh, and the next generation in its early seasons were, here's Gene Roddenberry. I have some, some utopian ideas about the future. Here here they are. And, you know, well, later after, you know, Roddenberry passed, TNG tried to develop it in its own direction and successfully found its own voice on that, tried to, you know, it was still updating certain views for a new generation, a new era. Um, DS9 took that and said you know, alright, well, there's a lot of holes in this, and some things that don't really work in the real world, and we want to take these concepts and, you know, deconstruct them a bit, show them in a more muddied context, and you know, do these values still work in a time of war, and very successfully. It had some very specific questions it was asking. Um, Voyager, and we are paused towards the end of Season 3, and Voyager is not as successful, but I think it is trying to, you know, I think it's at its most successful. And when it's asking, you know, well, what are those views when you are completely removed from that original social context and you don't have the original moral compass? You know, what do those values still mean? Um, And at the same time, it's trying to be an entertaining action adventure show, too. I mean, is this an entertaining is is this at least an entertaining show? And I don't feel entertained.
0: I don't feel entertained either. I mean, I certainly think that part of that is the fact that this is the first Star Trek show I've ever watched explicitly with a critical mindset. You know, not to say that I watched other Star Trek shows just sort of mindlessly, but but certainly I'm watching this in a very deliberate fashion. And I would would not say that I was bored during Choose Your Pain. I I think that certain elements of it are, are very well written, and I think that at least the show moves along at a nice clip, but... I'm still left with a fundamental question of, you know, I I hate to be so reductionist about it, but, but does this feel like Star Trek? And I think that after last week's episode, when we were very optimistic about the show's take on Star Trek and its philosophy and its views on, on life and, and everything else that this episode doesn't feel like that. And I think that's okay because Deep Space Nine, at its best, did ask those hard questions yeah. as well, but Deep Space Nine had put in the time and had put in the hard work and had put in the uh time building its characters and building our relationship with them and building on everything that that had come before in Star Trek to answer those questions, to ask those questions in a realistic fashion and to answer them in a realistic fashion that felt earned. Whereas Star Trek discovery, does it deserve any of this? Does it earn this? I don't think it does. I mean, you know,
1: well, this is what it's reminding me of in a way. I mean, there's a, there are plenty of, um, and of course, I'm going to go into the theological perspective. There are plenty of branches of theology, whether you're talking about certain branches of Jewish mysticism or stuff like, you know, the Jesuit traditions that take religion from a place of complete faith and yet are questioning it and being critical of it and trying to ask the deeper questions. You know, this, the. You know, the dumbass, uh, uh, well, the Bible says it, and I have to believe it. You know, that's not enough. You know, we have to question this, and we have to find the contradictions. But at the same time, that is in a place of strengthening the faith. You know, you antagonize God in order to understand him more. And I think Deep Space Nine was in that perspective. It was very critical of the Federation and Starfleet and the founding principles, but because it believed in them and it wanted to— You know, is this strong enough to take, you know, is the Federation strong enough to battle the Dominion and still stay true to itself? And I think Deep Space Nine fully believed that, yes, that is the case. Um, I mean, Star Trek Discovery feels like, you know, Richard Dawkins writing about Christianity in a lot of ways. Like, it doesn't—I can't believe it's coming from a place of faith in the values of the Federation. It is— I, 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 it gives some lip service in the person of Burnham, and you know everybody is, you know, it, everybody is slowly realizing that yes, poor Ensign Tardigrade is suffering, but isn't it a little too late by the time they finally release the fucking thing? Uh, yeah,
0: I, I don't, I, 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 I'm kind of with you because I, I think that what it comes down to for me is that Star Trek Discovery is is kind of like what if Deep Space Nine had started in the sixth season? <laughs> and and it wouldn't have worked. Like you need the time, yeah. you need the energy, you need to put in the work to justify this. And I, 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 someone who's not familiar with Star Trek, like, could they even make any sense of anything that is happening? Like on a, I'm, I'm really asking that question, like on a fundamental level. I, I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure they'd be able to make sense of it, but would they care? Really? Like this is. It's this weird—like I said, you know, I asked the question of who is this show for. It is too inside baseball references, to, you know, for the casual fan in some ways, but it's too—it's uh, too outre for somebody who is pretty hardcore about it. I mean, I—again, I, I'm just going by what I'm seeing online and stuff. I've seen a ton of people you know going crazy for the orville just i've I've seen people you know disliking it. I haven't really seen anybody unabashedly loving discovery, and maybe
0: that's okay, but maybe that's that's. Like I don't want to turn this into an Orville No Star No No Trek No Discovery thing. Like I I think that's really played out, and I'm I'm tired of it. Sure. But, because I I like I have problems with the Orville, and we will talk about them when we talk about the Patron Special. And I think that the people loving the Orville is coming from a place of um of of laziness, frankly, mm. of of not wanting more from their shows. I mean, whereas Star Trek Discovery, I think is is I hate to say it. I don't know if the creative staff is talented enough to try and pull off what they're trying to pull off. Mm. Like, I get a sense from them, and, and this is just me, and maybe I'm wrong, but I get a sense from them that they kind of look at the other Star Treks and sort of pat them on the head. Mm. And they go, oh, you know what, you guys, you were doing really good. That's That's a five-year-old making a picture in our class in kindergarten. And now we're at the graduate level, and we're doing whatever we're doing, right? And and we are now getting our masters in 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 fine arts or whatever. And I don't think that's justified. I, I don't yeah. think they know. I don't think they're that good. I mean, I don't know. I'm. I'm I, I, I I know we I know we haven't really talked about the episode
1: even. But but but, but you know, watching this episode, part of it was. A lot. Of it felt redundant in some ways. Like, yes, we know Lark is broody and tortured, you know, emotionally as well as physically. Yes, we know that. You know,
0: right? Like, what are we supposed to make of the fact that that he was in command of another starship at the very beginning of the war? Before you talk discovery? about
1: you talk about scope, that part you know knocked me knocked me for a loop. Not because. I mean, you, you could tell the show wanted that to be a great reveal. Like, that's its stargazer moment. But for me, I was like, wait, like, okay, let me do the math. So he got another, so Discovery's less than six months old, and then he had this, and, you know, it probably took him a couple months. So, you know, like, I'm trying to, I'm blowing past that scene, because in my head, I'm trying to, you know, square all of these circles, when it's just like, what did I learn from that? What did I learn? Well, you learned that
0: Lorca... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what we learned from that. Do I sound tired? I think I'm tired.
1: Let me ask the question. I mean, so it's going for nine, ten episodes before the hiatus. If it gets canceled between the hiatus and we never find out how the story ends, I'm going to feel a little relieved, I think.
0: Well, they've finished wrapping the season and they will air yeah, it. Yeah, they'll but air it. Right, but that, gonna, yeah, but. That's not a question. But, yeah, I don't... I mean I don't know do I hope this gets canceled I think I kind of do
1: oh god yeah I mean I just don't want to see another 10 episodes of this right now I don't either I miss Voyager
0: do you understand why I said (laughs) I wanted to go back to Star Trek Voyager while I was missing Voyager
1: I no, I understand it now. Like I said, I've been trying to be the No, oh, it'll be okay. They have a plan in mind and maybe they will have a plan in mind. And you know, just as You know, Lorca's, oh, I have a monster room was, you know, figured out in the next five, you know, first five minutes of the next episode. Maybe in the next, you know, first five minutes of the next episode, Dr. Ricky Vasquez will say, oh, our mirror is broken again. It's, you know, showing the image on a delay again. You know, that's happening. Oh, okay, It was innocuous. And by the way. That entire time, I was like, "Okay, just fucking kiss him, kiss him, give give the first gay kiss on Star Trek. Do it, do it, do it, you faggots. Do it, do it, do it." And he gives him a brotherly pat on the back, and that's it. And what is this, nineteen ninety seven?
0: To be fair, I've never kissed anyone right after brushing my teeth either. That's just gross. At least on the cheek. The point is, well, the point yeah, is, I don't know. Let's just put this out of its misery, Richard. This gets one checkoff out of 10. Whoa, you're bringing back the ratings. Yeah,
1: that's how much (laughs) I didn't like this episode.
0: There's a blast from the past. All right, well, if you have any thoughts on star trek discovery choose your pain please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com you can check out our patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow which also supports our other podcasts tuning in uh we are currently doing a show that we are enjoying much more the x-files so go check that out (laughs) facebook twitter instagram trekaboutshow is our username in all those places and as always please leave us an itunes review or apple podcast review for truck about it is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Letha, I think. L E T H E
1: Leeth